How we doing, Ridge Church? Good to see you guys. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at the Ridge. It's so great to have you guys today as we uh, continue this series called Reset. And what we're doing is we're talking about what it, what it means to, to take a step back and to take a look at our lives, take a look at our faith, and get back to the basics, get back to the things that, that matter the most, the, the foundational things as we start this new year in 2014. I want to give you a, a quick update on our elder, John Monday, who is uh, still in the hospital. Those of you that have been keeping up with this and, and praying for him and uh, his family, Julie, who is uh, our worship director here at the Ridge, uh, continue to pray for them. He is uh, still in the hospital. He's still on the ventilator. Uh, there's being some progress made, however, so some very good things are, are happening. Uh, his, the sedative, sedative that he has been on has uh, been slowly reduced, and so uh, the paralytic that, was, uh, that they were giving him also has also been uh, greatly reduced, and so they hope, and, and we're going to continue to pray that, uh, that God is, is doing that work there and, and healing him, and so we hope and pray that it won't be too much longer before he is actually taken off the ventilator and uh, he is able to, to be able to, to wake up and, and to, to see his family and, and to be there. So we just continue to pray for them as they continue to go through this process. They still have a very long way to go, a very long uh, recovery road ahead of them as they, uh, as they go into this. In fact, why don't we just go ahead and do that right now? Let's just pray. Father, uh, we just thank you so much for uh, what you've done here this morning, what you're doing right now in our hearts, God, is uh, we've just offered ourselves up to you, God. We pray that we uh, have honored you and that, that we are just making you smile uh, with what we have uh, given to you thus far, God. Let us continue to just have our attention on you as we focus on you, God, and uh, let your word just speak loudly into our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let me, uh, let me ask you this. What, what is the, the best indicator to you that something is true or that something it, it works? I mean, for you, like if you think about it, if I, if I come to you and I said, okay, so this restaurant is fantastic. You got to go to this restaurant. You got to have the calamari. The calamari will change your life, right? If you like calamari, you'll, you'll think, well, I got to go try this calamari, right? Like I want to go and check this. I like calamari. If you don't like calamari, you need to get saved. But if you, if you don't like, so if I say you got to try this calamari, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go try this calamari. So you go and you try it. Now, if I am telling the truth and you like the calamari, you'll think, okay, I, I did it. I tried it. So the best indicator is, is if you try it for yourself, right? If you see it work for yourself. If I say this chair, if you sleep in this chair, if you take a nap in this chair, like your life will be different forever, right? You're not going to believe me until you actually take the nap in the chair, right? You want to try it out. You want to see if it works. And so the best indicator that something is true or, or that it's okay for you to put your faith into something is that it works, right? You want to see that it actually works because if it works, you keep it. If it works, you, you like it. If it works, you, you use it. But if it doesn't, you have no use for it. You, we toss it out. We, we get rid of it. We, we have nothing to do with it. And so famously in the course of, of history, there have been a lot of great technological uh, inventions that have come about that, that people actually looked at and said, you know what, that thing, it's not going to work. People have looked at great things, things that you and I use every single day and say, you know what, that's not going to work. But then what they found out later is that it actually does 
work. I'll give you an example. There was a man by the name of Paul Bouchette. And Paul Bouchette was a uh, Google engineer. And at Google, they give every engineer an opportunity every single week to spend a couple of hours working on what they call a, a pet project. And so they get to spend time developing and coming up with new technology to use. And so this guy, Paul, he worked on something that most of us use all the time. In fact, he, he had an opportunity to take what he was working on and take it to Google execs and say, here's what I've been working on, look at it. And they said, well, what is it? They said, well, it's, it's email, but it's not like AOL email, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, that stuff. It's, it's, it's different. This email, like, you don't ever have to delete anything. Like, it'll archive everything for you. You can just keep it. You, you never have to delete your email, and, and you'll get more storage every single day. And you can search and find anything. And we'll call it Google Mail. Most of us know it as Gmail, right? And so these Google executives, they, they hear this man's pitch, Paul's pitch, and they say, we're a search engine company. We can't do that. That will crush our brand. It'll never work. Well, apparently there was one dumb man in the room, and the rest of them said, hey, that's a great idea. I think we'll do that. I think we'll do that. And so they, they put their faith into that, right? They wanted to see if it worked. And, well, if you have a Gmail address, you know that it works beautifully, right? Here's one. You're going to love this man. You don't even know that you love this man, but you love this man. This man, Tony Fidel. Tony Fidel in 2001 had a great idea. He said, you know what? It really stinks to have to try to run with a Discman. Anybody ever tried to do that? You remember that? You remember Discmans? You know, you put a CD in it, that big thing, like the, and they made cases for it that were like this big. It was like a VCR on your hip, you know, like that whole thing, you know. And you try to run with it, and you're like, anti-skip, right. Yeah, sure, it, yeah, anti-skip really works, right. And so this guy, Tony, he said, I'm going to take that, and I'm going I'm to make it more compact. I'm going to make it smaller, I'm going to make it smaller. And so he took his idea and he said, I'm going to put all this digital music inside this little tiny piece of technology. And he took it to several different companies and they looked at it and they were like, no, that'll never work. Nobody will buy that thing. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to get rid of our CDs? <laughs> that'll never work. And then Tony went to a man by the name of Steve Jobs in 2001. And he took it to Steve Jobs and he said, it's like a thousand songs in your pocket. And Steve said, I think that'll work. I will put my faith into that. And you love it because it's an iPod. Which led to the iPhone and to the iPad and, you know, everything else. I, right? <laughs> iTunes. This other guy, Robert Metcalf. Robert Metcalf. Uh, is credited with actually inventing the internet. It wasn't Al Gore, believe it or not. But uh, Robert Metcalf, Robert Metcalf, it, it, when he invented the internet, the, the technology experts, they, they looked at the internet and they said, that'll never work. In fact, it will collapse by 1996. Now, they were so right, weren't they? I mean, they were really close to being right. Now, they were terribly wrong. They were terribly wrong. But Robert Metcalf, he put his faith into it. When he put his faith into it, something came from it. Another man by the name of Lord Kelvin, he was a British mathematician and, and physicist. And uh, you may have heard of him and some of his uh, philosophy or, or things that, 
he has, has done or said, but he actually had uh, two really famous failures for two things that he said, because the first thing uh, that he said that actually has failed miserably uh, from as far as what he said was he said that radio has no future. <laughs> and then he said, heavier than air flying machines are absolutely impossible. They'll never work. Man, that guy was a great physicist, wasn't he? I mean, like he really knew what he was talking about. But we know, we know that these things do work, but people actually, they put their hope and their faith and their trust, they put everything that they had into seeing these things work. They, they put everything that they had into seeing something come from these things. And so people who believe in something see something come from it. They, they see a work take place. They see fruit come from it. This uh, Monday, as in tomorrow, is the day that we celebrate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I think we we are all familiar with him, or at least I hope that we are. He he was one of the civil civil rights leaders in the 1960s, and Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. had a dream, didn't he? He had a dream, and and we know him most famously for uh, his speech that he gave at the, the March on Washington, where Hundreds of thousands of people gathered on the lawn there, and he stood before them, and he gave this speech. But the interesting thing about the speech was is that the first 11, 12 minutes or so of the speech were pretty normal. In fact, they, they, they weren't very impressive at all. So in fact, I heard uh, one person say that who was actually there sitting behind Dr. King said, it was kind of boring. But then... He had a gospel singer that traveled with him, and this gospel singer, Mahala Jackson, she sat behind him, and, and as King sort of read through his manuscript, and he read uh, his speech that he had planned out, Miss Jackson, she said, tell him about the dream. And if you listen to the audio, you can faintly hear it in the background. So Dr. King steps away from his manuscript, and he begins to recite the part that we're most familiar with, right? I have a dream. And as he began to, to tell about his dream, he began to, to tell a, a, of this dream that, that he didn't just dream. It wasn't just something that he cooked up in his mind. It wasn't just something that he thought, well, you know what? This will sound really good. I can get 100,000 people standing on their feet if I do this. No, understand that this dream that he had, this dream that he had was authored by God and given to him. But it wasn't just a dream. It wasn't just something that he thought of. It was something that he lived out before he stood on that podium that day to give that speech. And it was one that he lived out after, up until his, his very death. Something came forth from it. He had faith in it. His faith was in the creator God. His faith was in Jesus. And from that, this dream came. And so he put his faith in that. And so when he put his faith into something, there was something that came from his faith. And so in James chapter 2, if you have a Bible, turn there. James chapter 2, the uh, scripture will be on the screen behind me. If you need a Bible, we have uh, free Bibles that are at the Ridge Central table, the table that you passed on the way in here. Feel free to go and grab one of those. We want you to take one of those home and keep it. Uh, If you have a stack of Bibles in the back seat of your car that you collect, put it back when you leave. All right. But, um, Otherwise, you can keep it and take it home. It's a, it's a gift to you. So we, um, let, let, me just, let, let me just read this. Because faith, when it's authentic, it works. 
Or, or rather, it, it produces something. Authentic faith produces something. There's something that comes from authentic faith. Not false faith, not fake faith, but authentic faith. Listen to what James says in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, James, James is a very practical book in Scripture. Understand that James is the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, James, James didn't even follow Jesus until after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. And so he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples. He was the half-brother of Jesus who looked at Jesus and was like, I mean... This guy, the son of God, I don't know. I mean, James knew him. He was his brother, right? So he kind of knew all about him. But then when he saw a resurrected Jesus, it changed his life. And so James is a very practical book written to Christian, uh, Jewish Christians. And, and he paints a very practical picture for them of how we live our lives in the light of the gospel. And so he paints a very practical picture here. He says, he says so if a person... Uh, if you encounter a person and they need clothes or they're lacking in daily food and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, basically he's saying, if you look at them and be like, I know I got two jackets and I know you're kind of cold, but, you know, have a good day. He says, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was complete by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? And when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so James gives us this very practical picture here. He says there is an authentic faith. There's a faith that is true. There is a faith that that works. There is a faith that produces something. And then there is a faith that is dead. A faith that produces nothing. A faith that is workless. But we have to be careful here because James uses two, uh, a word here, this word justified. And justified is it's kind of a big hairy church word that we use sometimes. But uh, the word justified here kind of has two meanings that we have to be careful of because the first way that he uses it, he says uh, that to, to be justified, it means to, to be declared right. And so that is um, to be, uh, that's what Christ has done for us, okay? So to, to be justified, meaning that, that if you are justified, if you're a believer, you have been justified by what Christ has done for you, meaning that there is nothing that you have done to give yourself salvation because you can't. Christ has done it for you. He will do it for you. It is through Christ only that we are saved. And so it is his work on the cross, his blood that was shed on a cross that was given for each one of us. That is the gospel that he was crucified, resurrected to give his life up as a ransom for each one of us. That's the gospel, and that is what saves us. That alone, nothing else. 
nothing else. And so if you are, have been justified, you have been justified by what Christ has done. You can't do anything to save yourself. There's nothing that you can do. If you've been here every single Sunday since the beginning of January, you have perfect church attendance this year. High five, that's awesome, but it doesn't save you. You threw a 10 spot in the offering last week, that's good, that's great. You're being generous, awesome, but it doesn't save you. You serve in a ministry, it doesn't save you. You serve at a homeless shelter. You give to a food pantry. You do all those things are great. Keep doing those things. Those things are awesome, but it does not save you. What saves us is when we put our hope and our faith and we repent of sin and we put it into Jesus. That's what saves us. That's what James says here. He says that's to be justified. But then the other way is to prove oneself or to, to give evidence that it's true. And so we are made right with God because of what Jesus did, but we prove that we are right by what we do. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. We are made right with God because of what Jesus did, but we prove that we are right by what we do. So he's basically saying, here's how you show people you are a Christian. It's not because you listen to K-Love. It's not because you wear a Christian t-shirt. Not because you got a Jesus fish on the back of your car. It's not, I mean, great, awesome. But it's not those things. It's these things. Uh, Martin Luther, the uh, Reformed theologian, he, he said this. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so James shows us the difference between false faith and true faith. And so how do you know that you possess true faith? And so some of you might sit here and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on a second. Um, The Bible says all I got to do is believe. And so that's all I do is believe. And you know what I would say? You you are absolutely correct. You repent of sin. You believe that Christ is is the Lord. You give your life to him in, in belief. Yes, but it does not stop there. It doesn't stop there. It can't stop there. In fact, there are kind of, there's some holes in that theology. Because if you believe, if you believe, then you'll act like you believe that there was a man who gave his life up for you on a cross. Right? James actually pokes some holes into that theology in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. He said, you believe, that's good, high five, pound it, it's great, but the demons believe too, the demons believe too, but yet they shudder because they know who Jesus is, and they know what he can do, and they know what he has done. You believe, that's great, that's good, that's awesome, but the demons in hell believe too. And so this idea that, that all I got to do is believe or, or, or faith only suggests that, that you can live and do as you want, never repent of sin, yet have faith and be okay. And it d- simply doesn't hold water. This is what is called a practical atheist. A practical atheist is a person who, who believes in God but lives their lives uh, as if God doesn't exist. A practical atheist. I believe in God, but I don't live my life as if he actually does exist. Recent survey came out not too long ago uh, based off of the United States census that was just taken that said uh, 89% of Americans claim to be Christians. 
Now, let me just, just by show of hands, how many of us believe that? Okay. All right. I don't believe it. If you read the news, if you open uh, anything that you get your news from and you read that, and then you can tell me that 89% of Americans believe and live out a life of honoring and glorifying the holy God, I will tell you and say to you that I think you're wrong. It's not true. Why do, why do, why do people say, 89% of Americans, why do they say that? Why do they say that? Because all they've got to do is believe. Are the demons saved? Jesus says this. He's quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament, but he says this. He's uh, talking about the Pharisees who were basically practical atheists. He's, and he says this. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so out of your mouth comes honor. Out of your mouth comes things of praise. Out of your mouth comes that God is great, but there is nothing else in your life that shows that you honor me, that you believe that I am who I said I am. In fact, it, were, it was the Pharisees who crucified Jesus. So what is the evidence of authentic faith? Real, real quick, three things. What, what we see here in James. Authentic faith, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first one is this. Authentic faith shows mercy and compassion. Authentic faith shows mercy and compassion. James spends the first 13 verses of James chapter 2 and really unpacking this idea of mercy and compassion. But listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so here's the idea is what he's saying. When believers get around broken people, there should be something that goes off inside of us to want to do something. There, be, there should be mercy and compassion within us that should pour out of us. See, the gospel isn't partial. The gospel isn't partial. The gospel, um, well, I, I put it this way. The gospel is inclusive and not exclusive. Because God was not exclusive in saving you, was he? I'm glad that he wasn't that way with me because he would have looked at me and be like, this dude's jacked up. I ain't messing with that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't no, I mean, that's, that's what he, he would have done, right? He would have looked at me and he would just been like, this guy is messed up. I, I'm not messing with this. And so God being inclusive and not exclusive, Right? He doesn't look at our past and our sins and our junk and our, and, our, and our craziness and say, that's just too messed up. And so there is a mercy and compassion, and we see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? And so as reflectors of the gospel, we should also, if we have an authentic faith, we should also be able to show mercy and compassion in the same way. It makes me incredibly happy when I... Uh, when I'm here in the auditorium right before we start worship and I, and I see people who may have never been here at the Ridge before and I, I see others of you who have been here for a long time and you go and you greet them, you say hello to them, you show them where the coffee is, you show them where the bathroom is, you show them where the kids' ministry area is, all of those things. I, I love that. I love to see that because I, I see you showing and living out this authentic faith. You're, you're showing mercy and compassion toward people who may be broken and hurting. But yet the flip side of that is, is that it, honestly it just angers me when I see it not happen. Because we are to be reflectors of the gospel if we have an authentic faith. 
And so God's mission, when Jesus came, when Jesus entered into the mess of this humanity, when he came, his mission was not to come down and save people who were just like him or just like you, right? He, and the, the, the beauty of heaven is, is that when we get to heaven, there's going to be all kinds of people in heaven. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a, a, a mixed bag. And so Jesus did not enter into this mess to just save people who were all the same. And by the way, here's a newsflash. Jesus is not middle class and white. Okay? So let's, let's just kind of move that off of our plates and kind of get that out of the way. But understand that Jesus, an authentic, with, 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 as we reflect him, as we reflect his image and his glory, he was merciful and compassionate and an authentic faith when it is worked out, when it fleshes itself out, will also be merciful and compassionate. Because authentic faith says that we will embrace those who are nothing like us in deed, not just in thought. Here at the Ridge, one of our core values is that we say that we will embrace the unembraced. However, the flip side to that means that if we are not embracing those who are unembraced, if we are unembracing the unembraced, then we are unembracing Christ. Jesus says, or James actually says, that to, to not be merciful and compassionate is, is a sin. In verse 9 he says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and, and we are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Second thing is this, an authentic faith shows courage. James gives us a picture of people who are courageous, like, like Rahab. In verse uh, 24 and 25, he talks about this prostitute, Rahab, who was uh, a woman who, uh, exactly what the Scripture says, she, I mean, she was a prostitute, right? There's no way to really church that up. I mean, she was a prostitute, okay? And so this Rahab, she took the spies that came into the city, and she hid them because uh, as the, the people were looking for them, she took them and hid them away so that they would not be caught. She was courageous. It took courage to be able to do something like that. And she did it. And so being faithful in following the Spirit of God requires courage. And that courage comes from the faith that God is who he says he is and that he will do everything that he promised he would do. There are some of you that are here this morning and and there is... There is a place in your life right now where you need courage. You need to take a step of faith that is courageous. Maybe it's a change of career. Maybe it's a change of job. Maybe it's a living situation. Maybe it's a relational situation. But there is a place where you need to take a step of courage. And authentic faith will lead us to places of courage. In the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua, the leader of, of Israel at the time, Moses has died. Joshua is now bringing the people of Israel into the promised land. And as he gets to the Uh, river jordan and he's standing at the river the river is flooded it's flowing fast it's very deep but god gives him instruction he tells him he says this he says you will lead the priest over the river jordan with the ark of the covenant and when the soles of their feet touch the water i will push the waters back and you will walk over on dry land but i find it interesting if you think about that you read that passage of scripture in joshua chapter 3 the water was still flowing when their feet had to go into the water god didn't push the water back first there wasn't a moment where god said hey listen hey i know you're scared you're about to pee pee your pants right now i get that i understand that but here's the thing i'm going to push it back for you so you see dry land that's not what he said he said i want you to take a courageous step of faith and step into the water while the water is still flowing 
And they did. And God pushed the water back and they walked across dry land. And they were courageous. They had a courageous faith that worked itself out, that came out, that was visible. And if you step out, God will step in. You step out, God will step in. Believe that with authentic faith. The third thing is this. Authentic faith leads us to sacrifice. James talks about Abraham. Abraham, not only was Abraham courageous because when God speaks to Abraham first, he tells Abraham, he says, I will make you the father of of many nations, right? Abraham had many sons and what? Yeah, there you go. All right, somebody went to Sunday school. All right, you got it. You're close. That's that's good. We'll take that. That, That'll work. All right, so like Abraham, he he said, I will make you the father of many nations. And so he says, I want you to go that way. Abraham's like, which way? That way? Which way? That way. Which way is that? Just go that way. I'll tell you when to turn. And so he goes, courageously, in faith, trusting that God is who he says he is, that God will do everything that he promised he would do. But then God says, I got another thing I need you to do. I need you to take your boy, Isaac, and I need you to take him, and I need you to lay him on an altar, and I need you to sacrifice him. Hey, It's weird. I get it. I understand that. Let's just call it what it is. It's kind of weird, okay? God tells a man to take a son and to kill him. That's weird. I don't understand it fully, but I I do get what the 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 sort of the meta narrative that's taking place here is that he Abraham takes his son and he lays him on this altar, and as he's about to kill him, God intervenes and says, "Stop." You were about to sacrifice the one thing that meant the very most to you. You were courageous, you were faithful, and you are my friend. And God blessed Abraham. Authentic faith leads us to sacrifice. People of true faith are willing to make sacrifices. And as I read the scripture, I I see so many people, especially in the New Testament, I read the scripture about all of these people in in the New Testament who sacrificed and gave everything for the sake of the gospel. They gave everything, including their lives, for the gospel. But wouldn't you if you saw a dead man come off of a cross and ascend to heaven? They believed it, and they lived it, and they showed it. See, works are not added to faith. Works are, again, I want you to understand this. I want you to be clear when I say this. Works are not the thing that saves you. The things that you do are not the things that save you. Your hope and your faith when we repent of sin, that is what saves us. But an authentic faith works itself out in the things that we do. Genuine faith affects our behavior. Francis Chan writes in his book, Crazy Love, he poses a question about six years ago. I read this, and it pretty much wrecked my life. Dang it, Francis. But he asked this question. He says this. He says, has your relationship with God changed the way that you live? I'm going to let that soak in for just a second. Ask yourself that question. Has your relationship with God changed the way that you live? I think that if we truly 
really believed that Jesus is who he said he was. If we truly, really believe that he was going to do everything that he promised he would do in these scriptures, in these words, when we read them and we say, we see where Jesus says, I can heal the sick. I can make blind people see again. I can put breath into the lungs of dead bones and rise them back up. If we read that and we see that and we say, I believe that, then our lives will reflect that. It has no choice but to. I think it would radically change our lives if we really believe that a man who was dead was alive because God rose him up from a grave. No one in the Bible, read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Nobody in the Bible just said, "Ah, I believe in God. And then found themselves written in this book. They all acted on their faith. There was something that came from it. There was a fruit that came from it. There was something that came out of it. It wasn't enough just to believe. It was everything to reflect what they believed. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are are we believers with an authentic faith or are we just church people? Are we believers with an authentic faith or are we just church people? Are we people with with faith that works or, or are we people... (laughs) Are we people with faith that we hope works? Do you see evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life? If you want some homework today, go home and read Galatians chapter 5. Paul in Galatians 5, I'm not going to turn there, but you can go home and read it later today. But in Galatians 5, Paul sort of explains, he sort of lays it out. He says, here's what a life in the Spirit looks like. It's this, 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 and this. And here's what a life in the flesh, a life of sin looks like. It's this, 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 and this. And you might read through that, and you might look at that, and you say, well, I can kind of see that, and I I can kind of see that, and maybe. But, yeah, I I do that. And I I, I do that, too. That that doesn't mean that that you're not saved. What that means is that there is unrepentant sin in our lives that we need to repent of. And it always starts there. It always goes back to there. It starts with repentance. If you're a believer this morning, you're here and you look at your life and you say, my life is not showing an authentic faith. I've sort of taken a step back. I've not been courageous. I've not been sacrificial. I've not shown mercy and compassion. And so your first step, your very next step this morning is to repent of that sin all of us as believers. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you read this and you thought maybe you've just lived with this whole idea that because your grandparents took you to church and your mom and dad just brought you to church and and you just kind of heard what people said and you were like, I think I believe, you know, God, maybe maybe he is, maybe he's not, I, I don't know. But you never really repented of sin. You never just said, Jesus, here's my sin. Take it. Repentance, it's a big hairy church word that just means that I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to turn from myself and my flesh. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to run to the cross. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to run to the cross. That's what repent means. 
So this morning, your first step may be to do just that for the very first time and to ask Jesus to be your Savior, to fill you with a faith that is authentic, that is sacrificial, that is merciful and compassionate, that is courageous. And so this is why biblical community is is so important. It's why it's important for you to be here. As you're here this morning, a biblical community can help you with these things, can help show you, can help call you out when it seems as though faith is not authentic. Like you might say it is, but maybe it's not. And biblical community helps us with that. Community groups, that's why those are so important, why it's so important for you to be around other believers. In fact, I'll close with this. Ephesians 2, Paul writes this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. He's saying, Jesus does the saving, not you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The last part of Dr. King's speech, he says this. He says, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope and this is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. And with this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And so like Dr. King, authentic faith doesn't just dream. Authentic faith does something. Sacrificially, compassionately, mercifully, courageously. Let's pray. Father, God is the author of our faith. God, you are the one who even gives us the ability to believe. And so, Father, we just ask, God, that as your word sits and soaks in our hearts, Father, that it will spring forth fruit. God, that if now is the moment for us to... uh, to call out to you for the first time, God, give us uh, courage to take that step. God, if our lives have not been a life of authentic faith, God, give us the courage to just repent of our sin. God, lead us to repentance. Your spirit does give us the courage to follow. Father, forgive me of not being authentic of my faith, of not being sacrificial at times. God, for not being courageous at times. For not showing mercy and compassion. Father, forgive us. Let us live a life that reflects and smacks of your name. we sing this last few songs just ask you to to sit or stand or kneel or come to the front if you want it's nothing special about anything up here but you're welcome to come down here somebody will come and pray with you but as we sing this song
about the sacrifice of Christ that we sit and we ponder and ask ourselves that question. Has our relationship with God changed the way that we live? I hear the Savior say, Thy 